Good evening, brethren. In last study, we covered uh, chapter two of Corinthians, and uh, we saw how Paul, in, in the beginnings, in the first few chapters of Corinthians, of the second epistle, he commends the Christians uh, in Corinth for their repentance and asks them to show love to the offender, pleading for them to welcome the repented sinner, as we can see in chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, lest Satan would take advantage of them. Then he says that we thank God for this triumph of repentance, for it is a well-pleasing, sweet aroma to God. This teaching of repentance and forgiveness, which Paul is um, explaining here in, in these uh, first uh, chapters, uh, it is one that is well-pleasing to God. And this uh, teaching uh, is indeed sincere and directly from God's word, which is the truth. Today we're going to start in chapter 3. We will not get very far into chapter 3. We'll probably just get halfway uh, into chapter 3. We'll cover up to verse 7. So uh, let me start reading in verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need uh, some others, epistle, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you. So what Paul is saying here is, we don't need letters uh, of recommendation, of approval, of praise, with eulogies. Um, some had, some used, and particularly some false teachers at that time, they were bringing in some letters of recommendation and uh, Paul was saying, we don't need these letters of recommendation. Um, in fact, we see today uh, that practice is still uh, apparently being done in some groups or areas where um, a letter is sent. Well, we send, uh, they send a man there or a minister, and then uh, there's a letter of uh, recommendation saying the person is in good standing when the person is transferred or something like that. Um, so this may happen from time to time, uh, but Paul is saying you do not need that. Uh, you do not need a letter of introduction or a letter of recommendation uh, from other congregations to the brethren in Corinth. You do not need that. Because he was instrumental in raising up that congregation, in teaching them, in guiding them in the truth. And then he says in verse 2, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. In other words, they, the brethren, the brethren in Corinth, they were the letter, in a sense, figuratively speaking, uh, a letter written by God's Holy Spirit, and obviously he held them very close to his heart. That's why it says also written in our hearts. So there's a double meaning there. But the mere fact they had changed their lives, they had been converted, 
Uh, and uh, this evidence, this changed life, this conversion was an open letter to all people, to all men to read. All could see, everybody could see they had changed, they had repented, and therefore that was uh, a testimony uh, of not only Paul's faithfulness to the true message and that he was a true minister, but it was a letter from them as well, showing that they had applied and lived and according to the principles that had been taught. And so he says in verse 3, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. So uh, your fruits, and it was like the Bible says, you shall know them by their fruits. Your fruits are an epistle or a letter uh, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, on the heart. In other words, this is your, your, your example is not just something written on tablets of stone, but it's written in your heart. It's, it's what you are living. It's, in fact, uh, a proof of their conversion, of their new covenant conversion. The laws were in their minds, uh, were in their hearts, and it was reflected in their behavior and in their character. In Jeremiah uh, 31, verse 33, we see that described. Jeremiah 31, verse 33, which says, But this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds, and I'll write it on their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So this is a covenant, the new covenant, which is still to be, let's call it completely fulfilled, in the fullness of this uh, verse here, because it, it says here that I'll make with the house of Israel. And today is, yes, it's a new covenant, but it's only with a few people it will in the world tomorrow, will be with the whole house of Israel. But the point here is that the laws, as part of this new covenant, are in our minds and in our hearts. Also, in uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 38 through 40, 38 through 40, we read, But they shall be my people, and I'll be their God. Then I'll give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever, for the good of them and their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I'll put my fear in their hearts, so they will not depart from me. So, as I mentioned, this is a covenant that will be fulfilled to its full, uh, still in the world tomorrow, but it is a, a beginnings of that fulfillment uh, through us today in the church 
and then he was talking out to the Corinthians that they were exemplifying that uh, new covenant in their hearts. Uh, also in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 through 20. Ezekiel 11, 19 19 through 20. Then I'll give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I'll be their God. And so we can see uh, again this new covenant being prophesied uh, in uh, Old Testament prophecies about this uh, let's call it conversion process which start starting to happen with us just a few of us uh, at this time but it will be spread to the whole world also in Ezekiel chapter 36 Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 and 27 Ezekiel 36 Verse 26 and 27. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of out of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. So it is clearly God, God's Spirit working in them, and that's God's Spirit working in us as we are changing and being converted. So that's what he's describing here in verse 3, that they, their witness, their change of life was an epistle, a letter, a proof that uh, they had changed, and that uh, Paul's apostleship was indeed uh, one that is sincere, that it's God, because we can see it by the fruits. Now, in verse 4, from verse 4, it begins uh, a very, very interesting section. And uh, that's why we're going to go a little slower as, as we go particularly into verse 7. So let's read verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ towards you. So, yeah, as Paul's saying, uh, that he he's not making these statements uh, because of what he has done, what Paul has done, because it is what Christ has done. Uh, because it's through Christ, not through Paul. Paul was merely an instrument in, uh, in God's hands, but it was Christ that had changed them, had worked in their change of mind, in repentance and conversion through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And therefore, because of that, Paul was confident that God was using him. Verse 5. Not that we are sufficient 
of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. The word uh, sufficiency is a, a word, ikanos, uh, 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 which is more related to meat or fit. So not that we are confident of ourselves or, or adequate of ourselves, uh, because no minister should be confident or feel adequate of by himself unless God is using him. So our ability is not because of our human capabilities or abilities that God has given us, but all our ability is through God. Only God can make a human being adequate or sufficient or adequate to be able to minister in a godly way. It's not our natural ability. It is God's Holy Spirit that imparts in us wisdom, understanding, and a capability to teach. So um, that's what he's saying in verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves, not that we are confident or adequate by ourselves uh, to think of anything as being from ourselves, no. But our competency, our adequacy, our capability is from God. Verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So, is he talking about the difference? Yeah, in verse 6, he's starting to talk about the difference of the new covenant administration versus the old covenant administration. So, uh, so he's made sufficient as ministers or uh, serving, administering the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Um, under the word here in verse 6, ministers of the new covenant, the word covenant, yeah, is a word uh, called diafek, uh, which is a contract or a divisory will. Uh, in other words, it's a, a will that divides certain uh, uh, future uh, who has what, uh, who has, who's going to inherit what. But it's, it's also can mean a contract. So that's why it is translated as New Covenant in uh, the New King James Version. Uh, the old King James Version, however, uh, talks about a testament, but uh, it's it's more like a a will uh, in a way, but it's also a contract. Why is it a will? Because we are co-heirs with Christ, uh, and 
we are going to inherit what Christ will inherit. We read in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse, verse uh, 17, he says, And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So we're going to inherit with Christ. Whatever he is going to inherit, we're going to inherit with him, obviously under him, and what he's going to delegate to each one of us. Also, if we read in Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, look, verse 2, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. It says, uh, uh, well, let's start reading from verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir, heir of all things. So Christ is going to inherit all things, and we are going to be co-inheritors we as we saw in Romans 8 we are gonna inherit with him co-heirs and so he's gonna inherit all things and all things through whom that's Christ he also God made the walls so God used Christ to make the world and Christ is gonna inherit everything so the word covenant here yeah, it is a good translation but it could also mean testament which is what we're going to inherit uh, under this uh, contract under this divisory will uh, so and then it says but who also made us efficient as ministers of the new covenant not of the letter, but of the spirit. You see, it's, it's not of the letter, of, but of the spirit. For the letter kills. The letter of the law does kill. There was a death sentence for breaking God's law. Uh, the old covenant punishment, for instance, for murder, was death. The old covenant punishment for committing adultery was death. And there was an administration, a, a, a way of administering that covenant, that law. And that was, let's call it, a national administration, administration of that nation through judges that they had a responsibility to apply penalties. Uh, those penalties could be fines or could be death. Understand that in the old covenant administration, there were no prisons. Now, uh, as an example of that administration, let's look at some examples. First one here is in Numbers 35. In Numbers 35. Because now we have a case of what would happen if somebody would 
accidentally or deliberately kill a person. So let's look at that administration of the old covenant. So Numbers 35, verse 15, started in verse 15. Number 35, verse 15. All right, got it. Uh, it's talking about these uh, cities of refuge. And then uh, it says here in verse 15, these six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. So now it's talking here about a not a premeditated murder, because one that would have a premeditated murder, he would be killed. That was the administration that it would require here. But in this administration, yeah, if if the person had killed somebody accidentally, he may flee to this city of refuge. And he says, but if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. So if, if it was deliberate, he will be put to death. But if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, so it's an accident, he is a murderer. Uh, sorry, I'm, that's verse 17, I finished. Verse 18, or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon, or by which one could die, and, and does he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. But then verse 19, the avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. But if he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or the enmity he strikes with him with his hands so that he dies, and the one who strikes him shall surely be put to death. He's a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death. However, however, now it gets you up to the other situation. If he pushes him suddenly without enmity, or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him, so that he dies, that's what we call manslaughter, while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm. Then the congregation shall judge him, judge between the manslayer and the, ev and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the so the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hands of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return into the city of refuge, where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who has anointed, who was anointed with holy oil. And so yeah, we have that he was able to, if the manslaughter was not premeditated, he could live but in the city of refuge, uh, not in a prison. And, uh, and so they were a nation, and we see that also described in Deuteronomy 19, verse 5 through 6. 
They were a nation and a civil nation, and they needed rules to be administered by men, by human beings, which were allowed to administer the death penalty. Uh, so that was an administration in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, <coughs> that uh, had uh, the authority to kill. But as we read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, uh, it's talking about the New Covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Look at John 6, verse 63. John 6, verse 63. John 6, verse 63. You see, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So we have here, God gives us his spirit, and through his spirit, we can have eternal life. So, uh, so yeah, God, through the spirit, we can have eternal life. Look at, at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We also see that God's Holy Spirit is the down payment, uh, a guarantee, uh, earnest payment for ultimately eternal life. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So God's Holy Spirit working in our lives, changing our minds, it's a down payment, a guarantee for us to have eternal life. And so the law, the law cannot give us life. The law only shows what sin is. But the, uh, the new covenant promises eternal life. The old covenant never promised eternal life. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. He says, yeah, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in, in as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which had, was established on better promises. Simply put it this way, the old covenant had physical blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Uh, so the old covenant only promised that. Of course, there's still curses for disobedience, but the point is, the church today does not administer that penalty of, for instance, the death penalty. Because Christians are all over different nations, and we are under different governments. At that time, the Israelites were under that government as a civil government with an authority. Now, 
we are under different governments, uh, different governments in the world. And we read in Romans 13, verse 1, Romans 13, verse 1, that we have to be submissive to the laws of the country, to the governments. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So what do we have today? We have different governments. And we need to obey those governments, those authorities. Except, of course, when there is a conflict with God's law. Because we got to put God first. So if the law tells us break the Sabbath, we got to put God first. And so we got to keep the Sabbath. So uh, we are to be submissive to the government, but uh, we put God first. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Uh, we finished reading verse 6. Now let's read verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Well, let's just focus on verse seven first today the administration of death was the civil execution of punishment for violation of the civil law code in ancient israel i'm going to restate it so it's important the administration of death was the civil execution of punishment for the violation of the civil law code in ancient Israel. Now, the civil law code obviously was based on the Ten Commandments. In a sense, it's like today we have the, the Constitution. It's like the Ten Commandments, it's the Constitution, just as an analogy. But then there is a national. Uh, courts and uh, I mean they are individual courts and then uh, state courts and then federal courts and so there is a whole execution of judgment uh, which is based on the constitution and so in that time of Israel as a nation they had judges uh, let's look at Deuteronomy 16, Deuteronomy 16, verse 18, Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. We read, and you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates. So in every city, in every county, as you would have, you will have different judges, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people 
with just judgments. So the, the judges should uh, bring, uh, should implement uh, those, those laws with just judgment. So Israel as a physical nation, uh, was a physical nation, and their minds as a whole was not open at that time to understand God's spiritual principles. And in a sense, it's the same today. Our nations as a whole, uh, and the people in our nations as a whole, uh, their minds are not open to understand uh, God's way. Now, some understand. In Israel, there were some that understood, some of the prophets, some of the leaders understood. But, uh, but most of the people did not understand. And so judges were there to, to apply the law to, to show, as it says, just judgment. That's what it should be today just just judgment well you and i know that there is no real just just judgment today generally speaking but uh, then uh, god would give gave them uh, as they would apply these laws and they would live according to these laws god would give them blessings and cursings and we have two chapters in the Bible that talks about those blessings and cursings. One is in Leviticus 26, and the other one is in Deuteronomy 28. If we look just briefly at Leviticus 26, uh, starting from verse 3, Leviticus uh, 26, starting in verse 3, Yeah, we see, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I'll give you rain. And then later on, uh, uh, your threshing uh, shall last till the time of the vintage, and you shall eat your bread to the full, and I'll give you peace in the land. And then in verse 9, uh, for I'll look on you favorably, and I'll make you fruitful. And so... What we see uh, is in this old covenant, the promise was physical blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, not eternal life. Uh, it was physical blessings. So this is the old covenant. The old covenant was given to a physical nation, Israel. Why? For this nation to be an example and a light to other nations, to attract them to God's way. That was the intent. What happened? They failed miserably. They failed miserably. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that 
they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see, their hearts were not right. In the Old Covenant, their hearts were not right. In the New Covenant, God corrects the heart problem. That's the difference. And so, as we go and read now in Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, we say, For if the ministry of death, if the ministry of death was glorious, which says was written and engraved on stones. Written and engraved on stones. Many people assume that it's talking about the two tablets of stone. But that's not the case. That's not the case. The ministry of death was not written and engraved on the two tablets of stones. The two tablets were written the Ten Commandments. The administration of death was written on stones. These stones were boulders, were large stones, were large boulders. When they crossed over the River Jordan into what we call today Palestine, they had huge boulders, stone, that had been plastered and the civil law was written on these large stones, whole stones, for them to remember. Let's look at that in Deuteronomy 27. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 27. going to read starting in verse 1. Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying keep all the commandments which I command you today and it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime and you shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up those stones which I command you today. And you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. And you shall not use an iron tool on them. And you shall build the whole stones. Uh, beg your pardon. And you shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings in it to the Lord your God. And you shall offer peace offerings, and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write every 
Mega Parish, write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. And we know that the very next chapter, Deuteronomy 28, it talks about the blessings. And in fact, there on these stones, they were to write on these stones the, the blessings and the curses that they were to read. And, uh, and they were to read these blessings and cursings. In, uh, in Joshua chapter 8, Joshua chapter 8, so that's when they crossed the river Jordan. In Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 through 35, it says, Now Joshua uh, built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of, of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. So they built an altar and wrote on that law, on, on their what? Let's look at that. An altar of walls, whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered it on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, verse 32, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And so they, they built that altar, they wrote on those large stones the, the law of Moses, which included the blessings and the cursings. And so what do we have here? And we continue reading there in verse 33, Then all Israel and the officers stood on either side of, of the ark before the priests, who bore the ark of the covenant. And then he says, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And after he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. You see, so they wrote on it what was in the book of the law, and it says he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings. And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the woman, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. That's what was written on these large stones, boulders. And so through this, God wanted Israel to be a witness to all physical nations around them. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 through 8, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 through 8, we read, Surely I've taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom 
any understanding in the sight of the peoples will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. As for instance, in this country, we deviate more and more from God's law. The wisdom of people is going away. The understanding is going away. And continue reading in verse 7. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him? And what great nation is there that has such statues and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I've set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself to diligently keep yourself lest you forget these things and so as we see uh, god's law made them wiser and so let's read then again second uh, corinthians uh, chapter 3 verse 7 it says but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones these are these large bulbs that were written on the mountain there was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance which was passing away so what is fading away is the old covenant and the administration of the old covenant not the Ten Commandments. The administration of death was written in whole stones in these boulders, not on the two tablets of stone. On Psalm 111, verse 7 and 8, Psalm 111, verse 7 and 8, We see, the works of his hands are verily verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever. They are done in truth and uprightness. God's spiritual law is based on the Ten Commandments. And they stand forever. In Romans chapter 7, verse 12 to 14. Romans chapter 7, 12 to 14. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. As then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful for we know that the law is spiritual but i'm carnal sold under sin god's law is spiritual it is a holy law it stands fast forever so god wrote his law his ten commandments on tablets of stone not on these huge boulders these huge boulders sure they had god's law included in it but 
it was the law of Moses, and it was the law with all its blessings and curses, the administration of that law. In Exodus chapter 20, verse through Exodus 24, so if you look at that section of Exodus from chapter 20, you can see on chapter 20 being uh, the Ten Commandments, and then verse uh, chapter 21, 22, 23, and 24. Now let's look at the beginning of verse 24, because Yahweh see that when Moses came down the mountain the first time, he gave the people the Ten Commandments, as well as the statues, statutes and judgments. So let's now read in chapter 24, verse 1 through 8. So now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and and uh, and answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. So they said, Yeah, we'll do it. And he wrote all the words of the law uh, of the Lord. Uh, but he's not saying he wrote them on those boulders. He wrote them on 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 on, um, on manuscripts. And he wrote early in the morning. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men to the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings uh, of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins and half of the blood he's putting into the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. So this is, this is what he had gotten when he went to the mountain he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said all that the lord has said we will do and be obedient and moses took the blood sprinkled it on the people and said this is the blood of the covenant which the lord has made with you according to all these words so this is the old covenant so it was uh, uh, sealed with blood, symbolic of Jesus Christ. And then we can see in verse 9 and 10, he says, Then Moses went up also, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very uh, heavens in his clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. But so they saw God, and they ate and drank. These 70 people saw God. So we know from John 1 verse 18 that no man has seen the Father. From uh, John 5 37 and, and John 6 46, he says the same thing. So they actually, what they saw was the being, Christ, that worked with them. Uh, and then continuing in verse, uh, uh, and, uh, verse 11 through 18, it shows the that uh, 
And Moses then went up to the mountain. It was on a mountain, 40 days and 40 nights. So uh, we can see here there is a section here, which was the old covenant. Uh, they didn't want to hear it. Uh, they said, uh, uh, we, we don't, we don't want to hear that. So uh, otherwise God would have spoken to them. We read that in uh, verse uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 19. They said, oh, we, we don't want to hear God uh, talk to us. And then uh, that was that old covenant. And then Moses went up onto the mountain. And then he was on a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And then in Exodus chapter 31, Exodus chapter 31, uh, verse 15 through 16, Exodus chapter 31, verse 15 through and 16, we see Moses comes down from the mountain with the two tablets of stone, which were written by, in, by God himself with his finger. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And then Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. And he says, well, there's a noise. And then uh, we read in verse 19. So it was as soon as he came, that's Moses near the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing. Moses was angry. Beca anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. So this was a major mistake, as we know. And, uh, and then we, we can see that he's going to do it again. We can see a little later on in uh, Exodus 33, where it says, uh, show me your glory, show me your face. And uh, God says, no, you can't see my face. Uh, in Exodus 33, verse 17 through 20, says, you cannot see my face. You see that in verse 20, for no man shall see me and live. And the eye is a place by me, you shall stand on the rock, and then you shall see my back. So you see that, see God's glory, uh, just partially. So then uh, Moses asked to go up back on, onto the mountain, because we see on chapter 34, he says that the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I'll write on these tablets the word that went on the first tablets which you broke. And so he did that, he went, he had to repeat all that. And then when he came down, you read that in verse, um, verse 28 through 30 of uh, Exodus 34. He says, he says, so it was, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, now a second time. And he neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And so God rewrote the Ten Commandments again. Now it was when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And he says, and you know, when 
Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And, uh, and then we can see that he put a veil on his face. And so, and we can see that, uh, we see that in verse 35. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak with him. And so that veil uh, reflected, represented uh, that the, the administration of death was glorious and the fact that Moses' face shone was a type that therefore the administration was glorious. So the, there's nothing wrong with it but he did not offer salvation. It was a glorious law. So as we read back here in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we see, but if the administration of death, written engraved on stones, which was on those boulders, was glorious, and uh, Moses' whole face being shining uh, represented that glory, of, of the law, uh, it reflects, therefore that glory reflects God's nature and his loving character. But that glory passed away, it was like the glory of, of the shining in Moses' face passed away and his face went back to normal, which shows that a type of the old covenant administration that was ready to vanish away. The next uh, study will then continue yeah, from verse 7 to complete chapter 3.